Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. This episode contains distressing themes and is intended for mature audiences only. Listener discretion is advised. On this episode of They Walk Among America, a Hollywood hopeful, a screenwriter, a former Miss America, a topless bar, a murder of a former police officer, How are they all possibly connected? Was the death of Crystal Spencer a horrible medical tragedy? Or is there a murderer still walking the streets? Welcome to episode two of They Walk Among America, a joint production between the Law and Crime Podcast Network and They Walk Among Us, the award-winning true crime podcast. Los Angeles 1988. It was the time of excess and turmoil. Rent for a one-bedroom apartment would set you back $600 a month. Native Ronald Reagan was president. It was the high life for hair glam bands that rocked the stages of clubs along Sunset Boulevard. Tom Cruise and Bette Midler had box office hits with Cocktail and Beaches. Tom Selleck as Magnum P.I., and the cast of Saint Elsewhere were dominating the television airwaves. But away from the shadow of the Hollywood sign, a war was brewing between the street gangs of the Bloods and the Crips that were taking hold of local communities, and another war was waging within Hollywood itself. From March 7th through August 7th of 1988, The Writers Guild of America strike halted the industry, crippling the entertainment community and industry-adjacent businesses. This did not bode well for an aspiring actress named Crystal Spencer. Crystal Lene Spencer was born September 4, 1959 to Harvey and Bernadine Spencer in the small northern town of Ukiah, California, in Mendocino County, an area that covered just five square miles. After the death of her father when she was only eight years old, her young aspirations of becoming a Hollywood starlet had to be put on hold. So much so that at the age of 17... Crystal dropped out of high school to work and helped support her mother and siblings. 
It was not until 1982 when she finally left the town of just over 12,000 people and headed to find her own walk of fame. Crystal landed in a Burbank apartment just over the Hollywood Hills at 316 North Maple Street, close enough to the hustle and bustle of Hollywood, but far away from her dreams of becoming a star. Even the Warner Brothers lot was just a few blocks away on the other side of the 134 freeway, acting almost as an invisible barrier between Crystal and her aspirations. Over the course of five years while attending acting classes and comedy workshops, Crystal found herself landing a few commercial gigs, but nothing that saw her name in lights. It was a struggle to make ends meet. Crystal had to have an income and so she got a job as a dancer at the Wild Goose, a topless bar near Los Angeles airport where she worked nights as if an audition came up, she was free to attend. It seemed like an adequate opportunity as she worked towards a career in acting. The Wild Goose once touted as the best topless dance club in the Los Angeles area, sat amidst the grey shadows of the bustling 405 and 105 freeways and the passenger jets taking off and landing. There, Crystal would dance anywhere from two to four nights a week, and while her nightly wage of about $40 a night wouldn't pay the bills, it was the tips that kept her coming back. Taking home anywhere from $550 to $400 a night performing, Crystal could not have earned that sort of money anywhere else. She could live comfortably, but she was not at ease with her job. When the subject of how Crystal made her living came up with friends, she got emotional. Her friend Patty Jo Milhouse would say, She would just start crying, like she felt degraded about herself, of what she'd done. In May of 1987, Crystal was invited to a friend's barbecue and it was there she met Anton Klein. Anton Klein was a screenwriter and an apparent PhD student from the quiet beach community of Playa del Rey. His film Daniel and the Towers was released in April of 1987 and the description on IMDb reads that it's The story of Simon Rodea, the real-life artist who spent 30 years constructing Los Angeles' Watts Tower, a monument to Christopher Columbus and his fictional relationship with Daniel, a young boy. But Anton's relationship with Crystal was anything but fictional. The two quickly fell in love, and Crystal was taken to museums, art galleries and concerts. While the two shared as much time together as possible, there is one thing that Crystal did not divulge to Anton the fact that she was an exotic dancer. It was a world that she kept secret from him. Crystal's friend Patty Jo said, Crystal loved Anton very much. She was very scared about him finding out and she said, well, I better quit dancing then before he finds out. 
but Anton did find out. Just four months into their courtship, one of Anton's neighbours spotted Crystal dancing at the wild goose and revealed to him her double life. As one can imagine, Anton was shocked and upset that she had not been forthcoming, but in the end he understood her financial position. Determined to leave her job in the wild goose, Crystal found something new in early 1988. She was planning on a three-month work trip to Japan, where she was to be an employee at a nightclub as a hostess girl. While apprehensive, Crystal wanted to make it work. She wrote in her journal, I feel stuck. I'm going to get unstuck. God guide me. Get me out of the wild goose by the end of May. But the end of May would never come for Crystal Spencer. May 4th, 1988. According to Anton, Crystal had a cold. Being the doting boyfriend, he went by the Burbank apartment and brought her milk, eggs and orange juice. During the visit, they talked about her upcoming trip to Japan and even took a few photos together. Anton said that he left the apartment around midnight and told the Los Angeles Times that she was active, running around the apartment and making coffee. And Klein even told the Daily News of Los Angeles that that night she was counting her tips she was happy with the money she was making. The following night, May 5th, Crystal called her sister Julie in Torrance asking for their mother's phone number. While asking for your own mother's phone number might sound strange, keep in mind this was before everyone had cell phones and Vernadine was renting a room from a family in the Los Angeles area. According to Julie in an interview with the Los Angeles Times, Crystal would get on that phone and just ring it off the hook. Not wanting to bother her landlords, Bernadine only left the number with her daughter Julie in case of an emergency. Julie and Crystal did speak about her being sick and Crystal allegedly told Julie that she was so sick that she could barely make it to the bathroom. Julie thought that Crystal was playing the pity card in hopes of getting the number. But Julie did not believe Crystal was unwell and that she was just exaggerating. Also on the evening of May 5th, Anton claims to have spoken with Crystal. In an interview with the television show Unsolved Mysteries, he told them, The conversation lasted about 15 minutes. I said I'll be in touch and she said okay and I hung up the phone. And that was the last time I ever spoke with her. Around May 8th, Anton said he tried to call Crystal, but got a busy signal. A call to the operator would tell him that the phone was off the hook. He assumed she left for Japan without so much as a goodbye. Still left with an uneasy feeling of why she would leave in the dead of night, Anton went to the Wild Goose to see if anyone had heard from Crystal. 
when Anton asked around. Her co-worker said Crystal had not shown up for her shift the night before, but the doorman said Crystal has left for Japan. There were also conflicting reports that said Crystal did not sign in for work the night of May 13th like she was scheduled to. However, other co-workers claimed to have seen her. A bouncer by the name of J.D. Leffler even remembers seeing her and walking her to her car that night. When asked about this on Unsolved Mysteries, Anton told them that, quote, I was expecting any day to receive a very excited phone call from Crystal saying it's wonderful here, and instead I got a phone call from the Burbank Police Department. Friday, May 13th. Neighbours in the apartment building called authorities complaining of a foul smell coming from Crystal's unit. When investigators arrived, they found a body so badly decomposed that the race of the cadaver could not be concluded. The body was lying on the floor near the couch on its stomach naked from the waist down and donning only a red shirt with a telephone cord wrapped around it. The apartment also looked to be in disarray with items strewn about. An officer on scene first suspected the death to be a homicide and probable sexual assault. Without being able to confidently identify Crystal as that of the body found in her apartment... The remains were brought to the coroner's office and labelled as Jane Doe 28. Instead of using dental records, which is customary, the coroner's office cut off the body's fingertips and sent them to a laboratory where they identified the deceased as Crystal Spencer. In the meantime, a full autopsy was conducted. Now, this is where the death of Crystal Spencer takes a bizarre and puzzling turn. A toxicology report was run. Trace amounts of alcohol and marijuana were found, but the levels were not enough to cause her death. There were also no bullet or knife wounds, no evidence of rape or sexual assault, no bodily fractures or trauma. Therefore, the coroner ruled Crystal's death as undetermined. Coroner spokesperson Bob Dambacher told the Los Angeles Times in 1992 that We do autopsies and workups of blood and urine. We do a lot of things. And sometimes we just cannot tell why somebody died. Burbank detective at the time Kevin T. Craft also told the LA Times In this instance, the coroner's office was not able to say that it was or was not a homicide. We don't know why she died. Well, this explanation was not good enough for Crystal's love, Anton Klein. However, he had to be questioned by authorities first. Klein told the documentary crew, They at first just said she was found dead at her apartment and they wanted to know when I'd last seen her. And I said I last saw her Wednesday. They asked, and how was she? And I said, well, she had a cold. And they said they believe she died 
of natural causes. Coroner's investigator Deborah Kitchens also tracked down Crystal's mother, Vernadine, and it was through that communication that Kitchens learned that Crystal did have a past bout of alcoholism and drug use, and at one point even threatened suicide. Crystal's mother said her daughter had an unstable personality. There was little drugs and alcohol found in Crystal's system, so authorities could rule out overdose or suicide attempt. So left were the possibilities of natural causes or illness or murder. Crystal's family had asked to view her body but were denied, so they filed a formal request. And again, they were refused. The medical examiner's office claimed that the cause for denial was that her body was in no condition to be seen by loved ones. It is rumoured that Anton told Crystal's family that he would take care of all the arrangements for Crystal's body. With investigators believing Crystal's death was due to an illness, just two weeks after her death, her body was cremated and her ashes scattered ceremoniously underneath the Hollywood sign. But for the death of Crystal Spencer, the last act was yet to be written. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. With the family still grieving and answers still unaccounted for, they began the process of going through Crystal's apartment. Some had said that Crystal lived in a world of organised chaos. She had been known to inadvertently leave the phone off the hook for long periods of time, and while she would frequently borrow money from friends, she would keep five, ten and twenty dollar bills stashed around the house, in the couch and even in tissue boxes. Going through her personal belongings... Anton stumbled upon the camera with which they were taking photos during their last night together. When Anton had the film developed, the first eight photos were in fact of Crystal and Anton goofing around in front of the camera as he had claimed happened on May 4th. But it was photo nine that would deepen the mystery of Crystal's death. According to an interview with Anton, he told the LA Times that photo 9, the one after he had taken the selfies with Crystal that night of the 4th, was of a, quote, 
gentleman in his forties with a moustache and T-shirt, and he's sitting behind her table with a smile on his face. Anton did not know who this man was, and turned into a citizen detective to investigate on his own. Using Crystal's phone records from around the time, he was able to contact the man in the photo. Anton then provided the name to the police, who undertook an interview, but did not declare this mystery man a suspect. It is not known what the particulars were of him being in Crystal's apartment, or what he said about her condition at the time the photograph was taken. Still not content with the coroner's ruling of Crystal's death as undetermined, Anton requested and obtained a copy of the full autopsy report that year in September, four months after her death. And what he found in those documents were unsettling and mysterious. The records indicated that Crystal was 5 foot 7, weighing 140 pounds. However, Crystal Spencer was only 5 feet tall and weighed 105 pounds. Coroners and their assistants have been known to be off by an inch or two, or a couple of pounds. But these discrepancies were blatantly wrong. Was it truly the body of Crystal Spencer? Due to a previous ankle injury from a 1979 car accident, Crystal had metal plates and screws surgically implanted. However, this hardware did not appear on the X-ray in the file nor was it noted or commented on in the report. Anton also remembered that Crystal was taking aspirin for her cold, but that did not show up on the toxicology report. The coroner's office denied any suggestions that they identified the wrong body and said that the height, weight and ankle implants were minor mistakes. Burbank police detective Kevin Kraft admits to not examining the crime scene, but was still entrusted with the investigation. He claimed that Crystal's death was due largely in part to her sickness, telling the Los Angeles Times, quote, I'm not saying this is the cause of death. It would just seem logical to me that if somebody is complaining they're so sick... They can't even get up to go to the bathroom to vomit or something along those lines, and in a short time later they die, you would certainly think, gee, what's the connection between those two things? Besides the botched autopsy report, there is another piece of the investigation into the death of Crystal Spencer that casts the shadow of doubt that her death was due to medical reasons. The last known conversation between Crystal and her family was the night of May 4th. However, in those late night hours or early the next morning, sounds were heard in Crystal's apartment. Crystal's downstairs neighbours of the North Maple Street apartment complex were Jetson Jet Taylor, an engineer, and his fiancée Susan Aiken. Susan was a native of Meridian, Mississippi, who won the title of Miss Mississippi in 1985 and went on to be crowned Miss America in 1986. 
Like Crystal, Susan had moved to Los Angeles in 1987 to pursue her acting dreams as well. And as fate would have it, moved into the same apartment building. Susan was allegedly an alcoholic and had an addiction to opioids after being injured in a car crash. In the early morning hours of May 6th, Jet was awoken by Susan who heard noises around 2 or 3 a.m. According to an interview with Jet, he claims that they, quote, heard moaning, but high-pitched, a muffled shrieking, and at first I thought it was a sexual thing going on, an S&M thing. In a Los Angeles Times article, Susan said that the cries were very rhythmic, at intervals, boom, boom, boom. All I could think about was somebody taking a cigarette butt to somebody and burning them. My gut reaction was that someone was being tortured. Jet told the Daily News of Los Angeles in September of 1989 that it was some screaming and hollering and gagging and choking. You know, you can associate sounds with something you've heard before. These are sounds I've never heard before. They were from her. He went on to say, I put my ear up to the wall. That was one week prior to them finding the body. I went to the landlord and said they should check it out. Could those have been the sounds of Crystal and an unknown assailant? Or were those the cries of an extremely sick person in agony? Jet and Susan debated on whether or not to call the police. But Susan went on to further claim, We were always told in California, you just don't get involved in domestic disputes. Though the couple did notify the apartment manager, but he also declined to get involved. Jet claimed that when officers were at the apartment taking Crystal's body away, He told them he thought she was murdered, but according to Jet, no formal statement was ever taken. Jet told the Daily News of Los Angeles that the Burbank police did call him a few months after Crystal's death and said, They called me and suggested it was not a murder. Don't you believe she was just sick? All of their questions were geared to that she was a junkie and that she overdosed. According to reports, Detective Kraft also said that another neighbour stated that the sound started during the day and worsened as time went on, like someone was really violently ill, but he declined to identify the neighbour. Neither Jet, Susan nor the apartment manager called the authorities that evening. There were no signs of trauma on Crystal's body, So were the sounds the neighbours heard Crystal being attacked, or were they the sounds of someone being violently ill? Anton came to the conclusion that the body the coroner's office performed an autopsy on was not Crystal. If it was not Crystal, then who was it? Anton went so far with his body swap theory that he met with the Los Angeles County Board of Supervisors, and they in turn ordered the Sheriff's Department to investigate. 
During the investigation, they researched a list of Jane Doe's who were processed around the same time as Crystal's body. Only two were unaccounted for, but in neither case were the fingertips removed for printing and identification. Still not trusting the coroner's report and hung up on his conclusion that the body found in the apartment was possibly not Crystal, Anton reached out to famed pathologist Dr. William Eckert. Dr. Eckert was a consultant on the autopsies of Robert F. Kennedy and actor Sharon Tate, and definitely in a position to render his professional opinion. In a statement to the Daily News of Los Angeles, he said after reviewing the autopsy report, I don't know if I could suggest there was foul play, but in the light of the difference, there are questions about the investigation. In a letter Dr. Eckert sent to Klein, he stated that the autopsy report would raise questions surrounding possible strangulation. With regards to Anton's claims that Crystal's body was not properly identified, Dr. Sharon Shinitka, who performed the autopsy, stands by the ruling that the cause of death cannot be determined and that they identified the body correctly. Frustrated, Anton turned to what he knew best, the Hollywood media. Anton went on television shows, A Current Affair, Hard Copy and Unsolved Mysteries to dispel his theories and frustrations with the investigation. If Crystal was in fact murdered, who could possibly be responsible? One theory that has been circulating is the involvement of Horace Joseph Mack McKenna. McKenna was a former California Highway Patrol officer. Some say he was even a secret owner of topless bars around Los Angeles, and even possibly a silent partner in the Wild Goose where Crystal worked. In addition, it was rumoured that he ran a secret casino-like operation out of a warehouse in the Inglewood area. Like straight out of a bad cop movie, rumours swirled that the £300 ex-law enforcement officer and eccentric bodybuilder had the dancers give special treatment to his cop buddies at both the clubs and the casino. One waitress friend of Crystal's who was not named said that Crystal did in fact spend time at the casino in Inglewood. But the investigation into Mac McKenna's possible involvement with Crystal would stop before it even started. McKenna was killed ten months after Crystal's death, March 9th of 1989, in an ambush outside his lavish Breyer home. When his driver went to open the gate... McKenna was met with a barrage of machine gun fire totalling 20 rounds to the back seat, where McKenna was waiting like a sitting duck. This came just 24 hours after it was made known that there was a warrant out for him and that the authorities were investigating his possible illegal activities. Before McKenna's murder the district attorney's office was looking into him and the clubs for possible tax fraud. And while he was ex-law enforcement, that didn't preclude him from having his own run-ins with the law. 
He was ousted at the California Highway Patrol in the 1970s and did four years in federal prison for passing counterfeit money. He also went back to prison a few years later after getting into a fight with an off-duty officer, which violated his parole. In 2000, three men were found to be responsible for Horace Joseph Mac McKenna's murder. His former business partners Michael Woods and Daniel Amos, as well as John Patrick Sheridan, a manager at one of the clubs. Court documents revealed that Woods paid Amos $50,000 for the hit, which in turn Amos paid Sheridan $25,000 to take the lead in the murder. Amos and Sheridan pleaded guilty to manslaughter and were sentenced to 20 years. Both have since been released. Michael Woods, the alleged mastermind, was found guilty by a jury of his peers for first-degree murder and was sentenced to 25 years to life. How does Crystal Spencer tie into all of this? Well, according to her friend, she did rub elbows with McKenna and his cohorts. So much, in fact, that while the FBI was probing into McKenna's activities, they had a file on Crystal as well. Following McKenna's murder, Anton learned about the FBI's involvement in the case against McKenna and his businesses. So Anton requested the files and received them seven months later. However, the FBI noted that 21 pages had allegedly been withheld. Did those pages have anything to do with Crystal? And was she possibly working as an informant in the case against McKenna and his business dealings? That for sure could be a motive for murder. In 1990, Anton Klein continued his pursuit for the truth and requested the investigation files from the Burbank Police Department. Under the California Public Records Act, his request was denied saying that the law precludes disclosure when it would endanger successful completion of an investigation. With fight still in him, Anton took his pleas to the Burbank Superior Court and then to the Appellate Courts. But on August 7th, 1990, the courts ruled against him and said he was not entitled to the reports. Over the years, Anton has also had some strong accusations of Detective Kraft. Kraft told the Los Angeles Times in February 1992, quote, He's alleged in some instances that I've covered up a homicide. He also alleged that I belong to Japanese organised crime, that I'm somehow associated with Japanese organised crime. It goes on and on. It's ridiculous. End quote. Just days later, in March of 92, Anton wrote to the publication regarding Detective Kraft's statement. This statement is totally false. I have never, never accused him or alleged this. Thus, I find Kraft's statement totally inexplicable. Anton Klein. Detective Kraft still maintains his investigation 
and that the cause of Crystal Spencer's death is undetermined. He would not say if Anton Klein was or still is considered a person of interest. He told the Daily News of Los Angeles that at the time, Anton went so far as to possibly mislead the investigation and that, quote, there's no doubt in my mind that he has an obsession with this. Anton was, after all, the last person to physically see Crystal alive. Over the years, rumours and theories have popped up across the internet. While some believe her death to be a medical misfortune, others stand alongside Anton in that there must be a secret cover-up and a body swap. Others believe there was in fact a murder and her killer might still be on the loose. Further theories go so far as to state that Crystal might actually be in Japan, possibly having been held there as a sex slave. And even the speculation that Crystal was an FBI informant and was entered into the witness protection program. Interestingly, on the Unsolved Mysteries website, recent comments can be found from a person named Jorge, which, reading through the posts, he appears to have had some sort of friendship with Crystal. This person has some strong words and accusations regarding Anton, going so far as to believe Anton is in fact the one responsible for Crystal's death and had the most to gain. Jorge claims that, quote, On May 3rd or 4th, Crystal leaves a message on voicemail asking me to call if I felt like talking, sounding like someone on their deathbed, barely able to speak, and suggesting she has the flu. Never heard anything like that coming from her before, or anyone else either. Scary. This person Jorge stated on the chat thread that they did speak with the investigators in 1988, but would not divulge the particulars of the interview. Detective Kraft told the Los Angeles Times, Believe me, I'd love nothing more than to have somebody make a ruling as to the cause of death on this. It could also be that this case is never going to be solved. Nobody's ever going to know. Anton told Unsolved Mysteries, We need to know what happened to her. It's important to all of us who cared about her to learn the truth. That's all we want, is the truth. But for Crystal and her family, the truth may never come. If you have any information on the death of Crystal Spencer, please contact the Burbank, California Police Department. This episode was researched and written by Kelly McGlear and edited by Brad Maybe. For more information on our series and notes on this episode, please visit theywalkamonguspodcast.com And for more on the Law and Crime Podcast Network, please visit lawandcrime.com slash podcasts. This has been They Walk Among America, Thank you for listening. Thank you.